The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to the Big Woo Big Board Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum. Chris, how you doing today? Uh, well, good for now. We'll see how we're doing after this podcast drops. <laughs> it's a good start. So we yeah. are here. We're coming with another kind of bonus edition where we are diving into breaking down what happened in the SB Nation NFL Writers Mock Draft. We gave you an episode for that earlier this week or last week. I don't even remember at this point. (laughs) One of those two, you have listened to it, where SB Nation pulls all their their team writers. They do a mock draft because the Giants have two first-round picks. We are doing this again. So Ed had the sixth overall pick, like the Giants do. If you listen to that episode, you know the Giants picked Devin White, linebacker out of LSU. We are back now for the 17th pick, and we will just update you very quick on what has happened to this point. So we'll go over the first six picks real quick. It was Arizona with Kyler Murray, San Francisco with Nick Bosa, the Jets with Josh Allen, Oakland with Quinton Williams, Tampa Bay with Ed Oliver, then the Giants, and Ed took Devin White. Since then, Jacksonville took Dwayne Haskins 7th. The Detroit Lions took Brian Burns, the edge from Florida State, at 8th. Buffalo took TJ Hawkinson, the tight end from Iowa, at 9. Denver took Drew Locke, quarterback from Missouri, at 10. Cincinnati took Devin Bush, linebacker from Michigan, at 11. At 12, Green Bay, Montez Sweat, edge Mississippi State. 13, Miami, Juwan Taylor, offensive tackle from Florida. The 14, Atlanta Falcons took Jonah Williams, offensive tackle from Alabama. 15, Washington took Clellan Farrell, an edge from Clemson. At 16, Carolina took Andre Dillard, the offensive tackle from Washington State. So at 17, Ed had the pick and took Rashawn Gary, the edge from Michigan. Frankly, I'm insulted by this. I, We have both talked several times about how the Giants picking Rashawn Gary was almost a worst-case scenario. Behind the scenes, Ed had asked me a few times. He said he was leaning really hard towards taking Gary. 
And I told him, don't do it. Gave him several other options that, in my opinion, would be have been much better picks. And he took Gary anyway. So, yeah, we have talked about Gary a few times. And he is interesting. It seems the NFL does like him. He is super athletic. That is something you can see occasionally on tape. It's something that was tested and proven at the Combine. Gary killed the Combine. He came in fourth in this edge class in Spark. Again, we'll just say what Spark is every time we bring it up, although most of you probably know by now it's just a composite score of all the testing from the Combine and, and Pro Days. Rashawn Gary came in the 95th percentile among NFL edge rushers. He is a big dude, 6'4", came in about 277, between like 270, 280, um, which, you know, is a bigger guy for the edge. At Michigan, he played some edge, he played some in the interior, that goes into his evaluation, but... When we break down Gary, there is not a whole lot of production, and that's kind of the problem, and that's the disconnect on what Gary is as a prospect. So per uh, Sports Info Solutions, Gary had a pressure rate of 12.5%. That is 15th among this draft class, uh, which is not great. Going by just raw statistics, he only had three and a half sacks, seven and a half tackles for loss, only nine run stuffs. You look at some of the other top guys in this draft, like Josh Allen had 24 run stuffs, Colin Farrell had 23, Brian Burns had 16 and a half. Uh, Brian Burns had 14 and a half tackles for loss. Farrell had 19 and a half tackles for loss. Josh Allen had 21 and a half tackles for loss. So these are guys who are getting way more production. And the, the disconnect for Gary is as much as the athleticism is there and people like that and are trying to project that, it just doesn't show up on the field. Yeah, and there's a couple reasons for that. The first, it, he is a ridiculous linear athlete like in a straight line and this, this does show up on film and it's basically his entire game out of the blocks he is legitimately explosive you know he showed that with a four five eight forty a 38 inch vertical jump 10 foot broad jump those are all ridiculous numbers for a player his size the problem is he has very little bend and he can't corner yeah, his three cone was a 7.26, which only lands him in the 42nd percentile of edge rushers. Everything else is, you know, his, you know, his broad jump is 76th percentile. Vertical jump is 91st. His 40-yard dash was 94th percentile. So he just doesn't have that ability to turn the corner like the other guys do. And also, his hand usage is just not there. Yeah, he his hands are basically blunt instruments, and his pass rush plan is explode out of the blocks and either try to run past an offensive tackle, in which case he suddenly has to corner, which he can't really do, or just bull over them. And that didn't really work all that often. Yeah, it just... He leaves you with, with so much to be desired on the field. You just watch him and 
you rarely there's like a flash play but just and not nearly enough consistency for you to you know really be excited by what he brings and it's it's a lot more projection and for a team to draft Gary High they're going to have to be very confident in their coaching and their development in order for him to be worth that high pick. So Football Outsiders came out with their Saxier projection, which is basically how just how they project edge rushers. Gary came in as the number five edge rusher, and their similar historical prospects for Gary were Frank Clark and Marcus Hunt. So those are two very different players. Frank Clark, you know, eventually did turn into a pretty productive pass rusher for Seattle. And that might maybe give you some hope for Gary, but it took Clark a little bit to develop into that role. And he was behind some pretty good pass rushers when he came in. So he was, you know, a third or fourth pass rusher at best when he started and now has turned into the number one guy after the, you know, the the Cliff Averills and the the Michael Bennett's weren't in Seattle anymore, uh, but he turned into a good guy right as his rookie deal expired, and that second contract is is coming. That Marcus Hunt was a a super raw athletic guy who never totally clicked, but he was also you know a second round pick. Never totally clicked in Cincinnati. He's gotten better, but is now in Indianapolis. It took him a second team uh, to get there, so. You kind of have to wonder how long it's going to take for Gary. If you put him on the Giants right now, he's going to have to be forced to start and be pushed into a a pretty big role early just because the depth chart is, is very bare. And then you have to wonder with Gary, uh, a question I have with him is, you know, when do you stop calling a guy raw? Because that's that's the term that gets thrown around with these athletic guys who don't totally have the technique to be you know consistent pass rushers on a play to play basis, and I think that's the case for Gary right now. And people are considering him raw, and there's you know you can have this similar historical prospects to a Marcus Hunt. I've seen some comparisons to like Ziggy Ansah, who was similar coming out. But those are guys who were relatively new to football when they started playing in college. You know, Rashawn Gary was like the top recruit when he was recruited to Michigan. You know, Gary has a long history of of being this guy with upside. So for him to not have developed yet in college, and then you still kind of waiting for him to have to develop at the NFL level and wait for everything to click and for his traits to match and catch up with his athleticism, that is that would be very worrying for me. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. And Lance Zerline at NFL.com made the NFL comparison to Ziggy Ansah. And again, just basically said, you know, he's got all these traits, but he's uh, lacking development. But Gary is not like Ziggy Ansah, who had just started playing football when he went to BYU. He's not like JPP, who had just started playing football, I think, the year before he went to South Florida. And South Florida is not Michigan. Gary had was the top defensive player 
in New Jersey in 2014 and 2015. He was, as you said, the top recruit in the class of 2016. Yet he is not new to the game, and it's not like he got bad coaching at Michigan. Chase Winovich is anything but raw, and I would say he's two or three times the pass rusher that Gary is, and he doesn't have anything like Gary's tools. So for Gary to have experience at the position and all these tools, but no production is concerning. You figure he he would at least have to out-athlete college tackles more than three times. Yeah, and that's one of the biggest concerns is that you know, the athleticism didn't even translate. I think we talk about a guy like who we've talked about quite a bit, uh, like Ben Benogu from TCU. He, I think he did a, a interview with Pro Football Focus, and he he explained that when he was at TCU, they were very just scheme dependent, didn't get a lot of positional coaching. So he didn't really learn a lot of pass rush moves, but he has that athleticism and that one against opposing offenses enough where he was able to create pressure. He was able to get to the quarterback and just rely on that athleticism. Rashawn Gary didn't even win enough with that athleticism. And you would think if he's a super athlete, like that would take over occasionally. And it just didn't do that often enough. No. And you know, I just brought up Gary's game log and he did not produce against the best competition. Half a tackle for a loss against Notre Dame, a tackle for a loss and a sack against Western Michigan, nothing against Southern Methodist, two tackles for a loss against Nebraska, and a sack, nothing against Northwestern, nothing against Penn State, half a tackle for a loss against Rutgers, one and a half tackles for a loss and one and a half sacks against Indiana, and a tackle for a loss against Ohio State. Yeah, there's a lot left to be desired in this game. And I think, you know, another part of it is we we talked about tweeters and how that is more of a good thing now when you you can play two things. But I think for for Gary, it's possibly, you know, tweener in in the negative sense, where at around 280, he wasn't really able to handle enough pass rush production from the edge, but he also wasn't able to hold up when he was placed on the interior at Michigan that he played occasionally. So it's going to be a balancing act, and for any team to draft him highly, they are going to have to be very confident in their developmental plan and very confident in how they decide to use him and where they place him on the line because he hasn't really just shown the ability to win anywhere on the field consistently. No, and that was the other thing I said to Ed. Ed wanted to get an edge rusher to basically replace Olivier Vernon. And I told him, I do not believe that Rashawn Gary is an edge just at all. I think he is pretty much locked into having to be a five technique or a three technique in nickel packages, which is basically what Indianapolis has done with Marcus Hunt. But it, like Hunt, it will probably take him a while to just be able to do that and play on as an interior defensive lineman every down. That It's an alien position. Things happen at a different speed, and it's going to take a different type of strength. 
Yeah, it is. And and if you, pro- you know, project him to an edge, especially in the giant scheme, um, no, I, I don't think it's difficult for a a rusher who's used to having his hand in the ground to stand up, but Gary was lined up in a three-point stance 99.1% of the time. For Michigan, per Sports Info Solutions, he rushed 97% of the time. So, you know, that's that's all he's going to do on pass snaps is, is rush the passer. And I, I think when you look at how this this particular draft ended up, I think this ended up being, at least at 17 kind of worst case scenario for the Giants. And then when you look, reflect on it, it kind of makes me sour even more on the Devin White pick because you could have had one of those better pass rushers there at six and then tried to figure out how to fill in around that at 17. Because, you know, after Devin White goes, Brian Burns goes at 8, Montez White goes at 12, Farrell goes at 15, and then also the offensive tackles, where you could have also gone here, they all go in that span. Uh, it was Juwan Taylor at 13, Jonah Williams at 14, Andre Dillard at 16. So, after the white pick, where you're just trying to get a playmaker, which is what Ed said he was doing, the board does not fall in a way that made that pick look better afterward. And uh, really, if you're still set on an edge, then Gary is almost your only option at this point. But there are a couple players where, you know, you could have gone elsewhere and then maybe circled back to edge and I think that's what I would have done in this situation gone for say a cornerback I probably would have taken Greedy Williams here shored up an outside corner get that coverage better and then maybe like doubled up in even the second or third round or the second and fourth the third and fourth and just taken multiple shots at athletic edge rushers who were productive you know you could you know take a swing in in the second or third for Ben Banigu even the Max Crosby out of Eastern Michigan he's a guy who had a better much better pressure rate than Gary and was fifth in spark you could have had like a, a Jordan Brailford who is out of Oklahoma State he had a 13.1 percent pressure rate so that was better than Gary and he was he was sixth in Spark, so just right behind Crosby and Gary. So I think that possibly could have been a, a better overall way to attack this if it came, if the board came down to this way. Try to assure up the secondary, have better coverage, take the pressure off that edge rush a little bit, and then take multiple swings at edge rush later in the draft. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, I like that strategy. I had actually recommended Byron Murphy, the corner out of Washington. Now, I'm a little bit higher on Murphy than Greedy Williams, but I think that I think if you have the with the right scheming, you could you almost can't go wrong there. And then in the second round, maybe get a guy like Zach Allen out of Boston College or Charles Omanihu out of. Texas. And then again, like you said, down the draft, you'd get Ped Banigu, uh, Justin Hollins out of Oregon, Christian Miller out of Alabama. There are a lot of different ways could have gone and probably gotten better value with a much, much, much lower chance of a bust happening. And just to play what if, 
Ed could have taken Brian Burns or Montez Sweat or even Colin Farrell at sixth overall. That would have kept Devin White on the board, who, if Cincinnati wanted a linebacker, they probably would have picked him. And that could have dropped Devin Bush to 17th overall. And honestly, I I am 99% sure at this point that I'm going to have Devin Bush as my LB1. And I think he fits better in the Giants' defense. He's a more instinctive player and a better athlete than Devin White. To me, that would have been a much better way to go. I also probably would have looked seriously at uh, Garrett Bradbury, the center out of NC State, and just really shoring up the middle of the offensive line. Yeah, that's a possibility. I, I still think I, I probably would have gone corner. I, I think Greedy, I think, probably would have been the, the best overall and most impactful pick there. But yeah, this is now just kind of an exercise in seeing what, it can happen uh, depending on where the Giants go at six. And if they do want that edge rusher, um, because, you know, pass rushers are going to be valuable and there are going to be a lot of teams trying to grab pass rushers so that they pass at one at six. Um, and There might really, not be one there. And don't really get someone who uh, can rush the passer. Like I've, in our last episode, I I suggested taking Ed Oliver is there. At least Oliver, you put him on the defensive line, he's still going to be able to rush the passer. Um, I know we said Devin White can blitz, but still that was only like 24% of his pass snaps. You want someone doing it much more than that if you are you know, trying to disrupt the quarterback. So if, if they pass there at six, which in reality, it does not appear they are going to, but if they do and they do something like take... Uh, a Devin White or just any anyone else besides a pass rusher, you know, with how the draft falls, you know, yeah, there might not be anyone worthy at at seventeen, and you know that's the dilemma the Giants are going to have. There is uh, you know a decent amount of top tier talent here, but. Uh, there's going to be a lot of teams looking at that same top tier talent. So even with you know three quarterbacks gone, there's there's that run on the edge rushers and the offensive tackles, and that's really where the Giants are the weakest on the roster right now. They have plenty of holes to fill. So it, you know even if you do get someone like Devin White and Rashawn Gary, those are those are filling holes. So and pretty much anyone the Giants are going to draft is probably going to play a significant role in 2019 just because of how the roster is set up. But you have you know, a super high bust potential right now with the sixth overall pick just being an off-ball linebacker, whether he's going to be able to produce worthy of the sixth overall pick and high bust potential in this 17th pick of a, a super athletic guy who just has not been able to put his development together for production. So for a draft that kind of needs to set the Giants up for the next couple of years, uh, that's that's a pretty alarming way to do it. It is. We have said a few times, and Ed has said, that this draft basically needs to be a home run for the Giants. They They have a lot of holes to fill, and Frankly, a lot of a lot of those holes they made themselves. They could have gotten away with adding maybe a later round day two or very early day three pass rusher if they kept Olivier Vernon, but now they don't have 
a proven pass rusher on the roster. So just picking players who definitely pass the eye test, but have that bust potential. It's, it is a big risk. Yeah, it is. And, and no, you know, no, no prospects or are a hundred percent certainty. There's, there's bust potential with literally everyone. And even, you know, guys like, Someone like a Marcus Hunt was a bus at one point and then kind of circled back and became a productive player. Again, that's for another team. So there, there's a potential for the development to be there. But for the Giants right now, when they have to be building you know, a core of what is going to come over the next couple of years, and that's what they have you know, shaped this draft to become, it also almost has to become it because of what they have done on the NFL roster right now. And you you don't want to go, you know, too safe and I'm not sure if that's you know even possible where you're you're limiting upside because you're too scared to bust. And I almost think that's kind of what they talked themselves into with like quarterback last year and possibly with quarterback this year. But it just in this case those are two very risky picks and and you really have to be confident in in how you are going to develop and deploy those players for that to work out and be what sets up your defense for the long term. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how much more there is to add. We've covered pretty much everything. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. And I think it's just, it's, it's a good look of what could potentially happen if the Giants go defense defense with these two picks. Depending on you know the players and the position, I'm not even sure if they you know hit it out of the ballpark on those two picks. How good the defense is going to be based on and how many holes there still are on that roster. So it's definitely going to be just an interesting exercise of how this roster is going to continue to be built, especially when there are, are still things in place where they are trying to still win as many games as they can. They have not fully committed to a rebuild, so there are still enough places where they are saying they're trying to compete. So how these two draft picks go is going to greatly influence that. So we will be back on Monday uh, talking some actual news. We're going to break down the Sterling Shepard deal on Monday, hopefully between now and then, the actual details of that contract are going to come out so we have just a better idea of what the actual contract looks like and what that outlook is. So we're just going to wait for the entire deal to come out before we really break that down and what it means for the Giants, Shepard, and the offense, and everything that goes around that. So... You can find this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review if you have not. That helps us out greatly. You can follow our work on BigBlueView.com. Follow BigBlueView on Twitter at BigBlueView. You follow BigBlueView on Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You can follow Chris on Twitter at RaptorMKII. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.